Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Lord God, thank you that we can bring our messed up, broken, distraught, torn apart lives into your sanctuary. We can bring our filthy rags into the sanctuary, Lord, and know that you still love us, that you care over us, that you desire to have a relationship with us. What a humbling moment it is to know that we can bring our trials, our problems at your feet. Mostly, Lord, because we know that you have what's best for us. You want what's best for us in our own lives. And you have that direction, laid the plan out. If we would only bend our ear to hear you. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would encourage us. Remind us of the things to come. That, Lord, we would not lose hope in this world as we wait for the next one. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning's uh, passage is in uh, Revelation chapter 4. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and therefore... There before me was a throne in heaven, and someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles and pearls of thunder." Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These were the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will they were created and have their being. May God add his blessing to the reading of the word this morning. Boys that love to go to their dad's blacksmith shop and watch him uh, bang away on the anvil and uh, watch the glowing coals and the forge and the blacksmith shop. 
They would stand around in the road and argue with each other until their dad would give them something to do. One of the things they had to do was to crank the bellows, and the bellows were off to one side, so that kept them out of the way a little bit, and they would crank those bellows over and over and over again. The coals in the forge would uh, glow red hot, and the pickaxe or the uh, pony shoes, horseshoes, uh, would glow eventually almost white. And then the blacksmith would take the tongs and pull whatever it was out of the fire and put it on the anvil and hammer away on it and shape it into the shape that uh, it needed to be. Fortunately, the blacksmith and those boys weren't uh, idol makers like Isaiah tells us about in Isaiah chapter 44. There's some people who make idols for a living. And those people who make idols uh, uh, and their customers are worshiping false gods. Uh, Isaiah reports the wrong result was is that they not only made those gods, but they bowed down and worshiped those uh, gods that they made in the, in the forge. He also tells the story about the carpenter who would take a chunk of wood and carve away the excess and, and form it into an image. And then he'd take some of the wood that he had chipped off and put aside, and he'd build a little fire, and he'd cook his lunch on the, on the fire, and then he would sit around eating his lunch and keep warm at the fire. And again, uh, somebody forgot to ask, what is this we're doing here? Uh, we take part of the wood and make it into an image that we worship. We take part of the wood and we cook our dinner on it, and we take part of the wood and, and keep ourselves warm uh, in this cold winter night. So Isaiah was right when he said, uh, Isaiah 44, 9, all who make idols are nothing, and the things they make are worthless. Those who speak up for those idols are blind, and they are ignorant to their own shame. Now granted, today there aren't too many people worshiping metal images or carved images from wood. Man-made idols today take a different form. Perhaps they're the philosophies and the worldviews of those people who deny that there's even a God that exists, let alone that there's a God who can redeem them and forgive them of their sins in the person of Jesus. When these non-believers uh, speak up for their particular idols, whether their idol is uh, materialism or communism or Nazism or atheism or racism or any other number of isms, uh, they, like Isaiah, are said are blinded by their errors. The unfortunate ones who follow uh, these errors are blind to the reality of God's re existence in the world and they're willfully ignorant, Isaiah says, to their own shame. My brother Frank, uh, some of you met, he was here several months ago. He lives in Portland, Oregon. He lives close enough to Mount St. Helens that he's visited there several times since May 1980 when the volcano erupted and about a, a cubic mile of, of the mountain disappeared into the air and then settled back down over the landscape, creating about 200 feet of uh, deposits uh, to the one side of the volcano. Well, the volcano then um, continued to spout regularly over a period of several weeks, 
and filled up the lake that was right near the base of the volcano, and the lake began to, to overflow and finally breached the, the dam on the lake, and it rushed down through the valley of uh, sediment that had been sitting there for several weeks or months and carved a 200-foot-deep canyon in just a matter of a few days. And uh, people were amazed that such a beautiful canyon could be created. It looked like a miniature uh, Grand Canyon. In fact, if you go on YouTube, you can find pictures of that uh, event on YouTube. But uh, it, it looked like a smaller Grand Canyon, and people began to think, well, how in the world could this have been created so quickly? And are there other Grand Canyons in this world that maybe didn't take millions and billions of years to create, but maybe they could have happened in just a few days? And so again, uh, people wonder, when we create our own gods, when we set forth our own philosophies, and then begin to believe them, these gods that we create, these philosophies that we create, know no more than we know. These gods that we create uh, have eyes that see no more than we see. These gods that we create in our minds are closed uh, to truth beyond our own particular philosophy. And we allow then, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 44, we allow a deluded heart to lead us astray. So Isaiah goes on then to tell us that the real creator God is ready to forgive us. Even if we have had wrong theories and ideas and philosophies, or maybe we've literally carved graven images like these people did in Isaiah's time, no matter what uh, our sinful past might be, God, the real God, is ready to take us back, to forgive our sins and our weaknesses and welcome us back into his presence. In verse 22 and 23, he says, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. So return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, O earth, beneath, and burst into song, you mountains and forests and all you trees. For the Lord has redeemed us. He displays his glory within us. So Isaiah begins uh, our thoughts this morning by saying, first, what we don't want to worship, <laughs> that's the graven images or, or the philosophies of our own minds, but rather he says, come to the Lord, he welcomes us with open arms, and he wants to forgive us of our past and to allow us to come into his presence and worship him and to rejoice, to sing for joy and shout aloud as even all creation around us shouts that there is a creator that has made them and made us. So we go from Isaiah into Revelation, as Marcus pointed out. Isaiah has much of what John, the disciple, first understood as God's presence in heaven. And then uh, John was fortunate enough that, that he was caught up in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and he saw some further uh, ideas about what worship and what... Uh, uh, our future would be in our heavenly home. And we've talked about some of those things uh, in, in previous times. But Revelation chapter 4 tells us that the right God brings the right opportunity for us to worship. You see, we're created for worship. Augustine uh, said many centuries ago, he says, uh, our hearts are restless 
until they find their rest in thee, O God. Uh, many centuries after that, several thousand, well, 1,500 years or so later, the Westminster Catechism, John Calvin and his gang got together and they decided, let's put some of our theology uh, into words. And so they wrote the Westminster Catechism and it says, the chief end of man is to worship or glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so here, centuries apart, uh, great men of faith decided that really our, our being Uh, Our central focus in life is enhanced, and the enjoyment of life and life abundant comes when we're able to come into the presence of God and worship Him. And that's the reason we gather here each week from time to time and why Christians gather around the world on the first day of the week to celebrate not only Jesus' resurrection, but Jesus' presence in our life through the power of His Holy Spirit. Now, before John wrote these words in Revelation, the disciple allowed himself to be caught up in the Spirit as Jesus had taught that we need to do. Jesus told the woman at the well when he visited with her, she said, well, where are we supposed to worship? And Jesus says, where you worship's not important. But he says in John 4, he says, the Father, uh, a time is coming and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so we are, we are in a worship service here where we emphasize the truth. Uh, Jesus says to worship in truth. The truth is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth in the life. And so we worship the truth, Jesus Christ who has redeemed us, and we come to that truth through the power of the Spirit of Jesus that he sends into our hearts when we accept him as Lord and Savior. So this morning, all of us who name Jesus as Lord are worshiping him in spirit, the spirit that dwells within us, communes with the spirit of other Christians around us, and together our spirits commune with God's spirit here in this time of worship. And that spirit points to the truth, the truth of Jesus Christ, uh, who is the way and the truth and the life. So whatever we do in worship, we do uh, to connect our spirits with the truth of Jesus Christ and Christ's spirit, his Holy Spirit, living within us. Now that connection is different for different people. Uh, The way we worship, the style of our worship is different depending on our age Uh, depending on our taste in music. Our worship is different depending on our cultural or language background. Our worship may be different depending on our theology or our philosophy or whatever. But the point is, is that we come and connect our spirit with God's spirit in Christ Jesus and worship the truth that he has presented to us in his word. Revelation tells us here in chapter 4 that Worship is to be centered on the awe and the beauty and the wonder of God. Whether it's Isaiah chapter 6 that we mentioned this morning, or here in Revelation, or, or wherever it might be in the Scriptures, in the Psalms, there are many places that talk about the beauty and the wonder of God and how we see Him as an awesome and powerful God. Now, think of all the most beautiful people and all the most beautiful places and all the most wonderful events of your life. I mean, we could spend the rest of the morning talking about those particular things and then realize that 
all of those beautiful people, places, and events, uh, none of them are as beautiful as the one who created those people, places, and events. And so it makes sense that the creator of all the beauty that we enjoy in life is the most beautiful one of all. And so when we read in, in Revelation or in Isaiah or in Psalms about the beauty of God, we're reading something that should touch our hearts and really fire up our imagination about how wonderful and awe-inspiring God is as we worship Him. And as we come in true worship, we catch glimpses of that beauty and wonder and awesomeness of God. In Revelation chapter 4, it reminds us in figurative languages and in figurative uh, images that worship is done in the company of other believers. That's the reason we gather here today. Uh, in Revelation chapter 4, it says there are 24 elders seated on a throne around God's throne. And you and I, the Apostle Paul tells us, are already seated at God's right hand. Our, our end is already so certain that Paul can say in the, in the past tense that we are already seated around God's throne uh, prepared through our experiencing the love and forgiveness of Christ Jesus, we are prepared to worship as these 24 elders are around the throne of God. The 24 elders uh, could represent the 12 tribes of Israel uh, and the 12 disciples of Jesus. You and I join that uh, wonderful company of believers around God's throne uh, symbolically at this point, because we're still here on earth, but someday, literally, we will also join around God's throne to worship him as these uh, 24 elders are. We see worship also celebrates the characteristics of God in chapter 4. We see that there are uh, some uh, images of this invisible God. Uh, Jesus uh, is the, vid the image of the invisible God. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, it talks about that. Uh, in the King James Version, I memorized, because I sang a, a cantata by John Peterson one time, it says, uh, one of the songs said, uh, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past and to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also has made the world. Now I found the passage in my Bible. Uh, the rest of it I forgot, so I can read the rest of it. <laughs> it says, here's the important point. It says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, and the sun is the exact repre representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And he has provided purification for us, and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so here, Jesus is the exact representation of God's being, uh, and, uh, a physical presence of the spiritual being of God, which is the invisible God. Uh, and so these, uh, these uh, characters here before the throne are further images of that invisible God. And there are five images given here. The first is the sea of glass. The sea of glass is uh, representing the purity of God. We know that God is holy and pure, pure and, uh, and uh, that sea of glass 
represents the purity. Clear as crystal, it says, that sea of glass is. God is as pure as the most pure of all diamonds and crystals. And then it says, secondly, uh, that uh, a characteristic of God is, is that he is a lion. A lion is a symbol of what? The power of God, the protection of God. Wherever we go, God's power and his protection is with us. The psalm that you read earlier, he's our rock, our fortress, our deliverer, uh, our shield, our defense. There's on and on different images of God's protection in the book of Psalms. And then the third image of the presence of God is the ox. And the ox, remember, a lot of symbol, symbolism here. Uh, um, I think our state seal, or is it the seal of West Virginia or one of the other states I lived in, <laughs> has an ox on it. <laughs> and uh, you think, what in the world do they have an ox on the state seal? Well, uh, the ox is a symbol of God's provision. Uh, God provides through the soil, and the ox was the predecessor to our, our uh, tractors and our combines and our, our, uh, all the machinery we have that makes uh, our foods so readily available to us. So the ox is a symbol of the provision of God. And then there's a fourth image here, and that's the face of a man. God isn't just a force, you know, as great as I like Star Wars, and may the force be with all of you today, but, you know, the force, uh, God is more than that force, isn't he? God is a personal being. Uh, he is expressed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So the face of the man reminds us of the personal nature of God. And then last, the flying eagle in verse 8 tells us that God has many eyes, symbolically many eyes all around them. That means God's all-seeing, God is all-knowing, God is present everywhere at the same time. Isaiah 6.2 also reports that same image of that uh, eagle with all the eyes all around it. So we worship a God who is pure, a God who is our protector and provider, a God who is personal in nature, and a God who sees and knows and is everywhere all at one time. So it's no wonder we can come into his presence and worship when we see how awesome he is as our God. And then in Revelation, it goes on to have a celebration of, uh, of uh, worship there in heaven. And there are four worship songs, and, and these worship songs... Uh, have been put to music, and, and some of the choruses that we sing today are taken right from the words of uh, these worship songs in chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation. See if you can figure out the themes of these worship songs. It, it won't take me long to read them. First song, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. What's the theme of that worship song? God is holy, <laughs> and God is eternal who was and is and is to come. Second worship song says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. What would the theme of that worship song be? Uh, we sang it this morning, Worthy is the Lamb and, and, uh, and God's creative power. He is worthy to be worshipped. Uh, and then the third worship song, uh, a little bit like that one, but it goes on to say, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why is he worthy? <clears throat> because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation 
You have made them to be kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. So there is a celebration in worship of God's redemption uh, through Christ Jesus, the one who purchased us with his blood. And we will join with people all around the world, of every tribe and language and nation, as we celebrate uh, the God who has created and redeemed us in Christ Jesus. And then the final worship song in chapter 5 says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures then all uh, said amen together. So here is a song that celebrates God's worthiness and uh, our opportunity to join with him and to sing praises to him forever and ever. There's so much to say about worship, you don't hardly know where to start, let alone where to to end. (laughs) But uh, uh, the psalm that you read this morning from Psalm 144 is one example. Right next to Psalm 144 is Psalm 145. And King... (laughs) Isn't that funny, And. How that came right, right after that. Uh, sometimes you've got to think of something to say while you're thinking what you really want to say. So, so, so bear, bear with me while I'm wandering on here. In, in Psalms 145, King David gives us just one of many examples of, of how we can worship God. Uh, he tells us that, you know, he speaks from experience. King David was a man after God's own heart. God called him a man after my own heart. Well, if, if, if anybody knew how to worship, a man after God's own heart would have known how to worship. And so he wrote these worship songs for us uh, that we use even yet today. In Psalms 145, it says that we can worship and praise God throughout our day, uh, not just in times of worship on Sunday morning. It goes on to say that there are many ways in which we pass on uh, our worship, our feeling of reverence and awe to God. And one of the ways is one generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. He goes on to say how we have opportunity to pass on what we have experienced with God through a worship service. And that's what people have done for centuries. Uh, That's why our worship services are the way they are in various different churches, because we are patterning our worship after those who've come before us, who've taught us how to worship. And we, as we gather here today, teach our children and those who come after us uh, an example of worship so that they can continue that worship. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, God gives the command to the people of Israel. He says to them... um, Uh, These commandments, uh, these acts of worship, which they were there before God's holy mountain, uh, worshiping, he says, they're to be upon your heart and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk down the road and when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write these, he's talking about worship, write these things on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Wherever we go, we teach our children, and not only just our physical children or our physical grandchildren, 
but all of those who are younger in the Lord than us, we teach them uh, how to worship through the lives we live. One of uh, my uh, previous uh, employers, uh, he said that uh, your work is your worship. Your work is an opportunity to be your worship. So where you go as you work, uh, and you have opportunity there to praise God uh, through that uh, work and to show others your love for God even as you do your work. There's much common grace, isn't there? All the people in the world have opportunity to see God's grace alive in us. And uh, so that men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom, that your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Uh, Why do they know that? Because, he says, your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might. So as we go about whatever we are doing, we're speaking. Uh, There's some action words here, speaking, meditating, telling, proclaiming, celebrating, joyfully singing. All of those words are describing the ways in which we can worship God wherever uh, we may go and whatever we might do. The question for us is, are we going to take advantage to speak and meditate and tell and proclaim and celebrate and joyfully sing? Uh, God's wonder and majesty wherever we go. Worshiping God for his eternal nature. Worshiping God for his faithfulness. Uh, The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving towards all he has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. He gives them their proper food at the right time. He opens his hand and satisfies their desires. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving towards all he has made. David gives us many reasons uh, to worship God and to celebrate his faithfulness. But as Mike, Mark, excuse me, <laughs> thinking your brother, uh, when, when, when I finished my sermon a few weeks ago, he says, You forgot one R-E word, (laughs) and that R-E word is respond. So uh, that's the last thing uh, David says here, that we must respond, because he says the Lord is near, how? To all those who call upon him. We have to respond by calling upon God if we want him to be near to us. And then he says he fulfills the desires of those who do what? Those who fear him. We must respond in reverence and fear to God and love, and worship. And then he says we must respond. He will fulfill the desires of those who fear him. How? Why? Uh, Because he hears their cry, and he saves them. We need to cry out to God so that God will save us in the person of Jesus. And then the Lord will watch over us and love us uh, and allow us to be in his presence for all eternity. What a beautiful uh, opportunity we have. And what I put there on the Connect card this morning is to find one of the psalms, like Psalms 144 or 145 or any number of other psalms, and read it uh, over and over this week and use it as an opportunity to worship God in the privacy of your own heart or your own home or wherever you might be. Now we know Jesus. Uh, King David didn't have an opportunity to know Jesus as we did. He only knew that there would be a Messiah that would come. 
And that Messiah would be that great and wondrous God that he writes about in Psalms 145. But you and I not only have a chance to read the Psalms and understand God and his wonder uh, secondhand through listening to King David's Psalms, but you and I, in the presence of God in this worship service, you and I in the presence of God in any place where two or three are gathered in his name, we have a chance to wonderfully praise God. And the question for us is, will we? Will we respond? And today I want to challenge you to respond as we close. Shall we pray? Lord, we're thankful today for opportunity to worship you. It's amazing that you take us, uh, fallen and broken, as Pastor Dan has said in the opening prayer, and invite us to come into your presence and receive healing and forgiveness and love. And we pray today, Lord, that if there's one here who has not yet responded to Jesus as the way and the truth and the life, today might be that day. Or if those of us who have responded to you previously, Lord, perhaps we've fallen aside and looked at other things around us and forgotten to put you first. And so we pray, Lord, you'd help us to respond in love as well. Through Christ Jesus our Lord we pray. Amen.